1: All right everybody welcome back to the agent investor podcast i'm super excited to have our next guest
2: on jared holland jared how's it going today oh man i'm doing great i'm excited to to be on your podcast man this is good stuff
1: yeah like um every time i get the notifications for the podcast we have coming up like you know i'm always like you know you would respond back like hey i'm good for 10 o'clock today and i'm like wait a second I've got one on one on my calendar. Yeah. And I always forget about the, the time zone differences and that we always have like people from all parts of the country on the on the show. And um, you're out of what, Seattle?
2: Yep, yep. I'm out in Seattle, Washington.
1: So definitely one
2: of the most competitive landscapes in the in the nation for sure, right? Absolutely, man. We got a, a pretty, a pretty strong market over here and definitely a lot of competition in the investing side also.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the biggest kind of like things that people say to me, like if I'm talking to somebody in a competitive market that hasn't done this, and obviously the the focal point of the whole show is like, Hey, like how can agents, you know, invest in real estate and and do it in in a right way. And a lot of the objections I get, especially, especially from agents, is like, Hey, my market is like too competitive and all that good stuff. And obviously I'm in Boston and I know that you can do investment deals in any area, Boston's super competitive. You're in Seattle. So pretty much coast to coast we're we're two of the most competitive markets in the industry mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, getting it done. But why don't you give the audience a little bit of background about yourself, how you got into real estate, how long you've been doing it and kind of what your business looks like today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm going into going into year six. So I, I officially, you know, got my first introduction to real estate at the very end of 2014. Um, you know, up until that point, my entire adult life, I'd been in construction. You know, I had a painting company for a couple of years. Before that, I was boots on the ground, worked in did a specialty trade, uh, worked in, you know, big buildings, um, Amazon, Microsoft, you know, hospitals, that kind of thing. So I had a good background on the commercial construction and transition into the residential side. And that's when I found real estate. Um, you know, and, and my, my end game was always investing, you know, I found it while I was painting people's houses and they were telling me, you know, they were going to fix it up and sell it. And, you know, that was what initially sparked my interest. So (laughs) my end game was always to do investing. You know, I wanted, I, I always really liked the idea and, you know, vision of me going from swinging the hammer in these, these big buildings. I want to go full circle and I want to build those. Right. So that's my kind of trajectory but I got in at uh, end of 2014. Um, and I actually did, I got my license in, you know, I took the course, uh, I got it, I passed it and everything. And I actually didn't hang my license for a year. You know, at the time I just, I didn't understand. I was like, why do I even need my license? You know, I was like, this is silly. I just want to be an investor. I want to flip houses. I want to build houses, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got my license. I sat on it for an entire year. And then when I finally went full time, I hung it. And then At that point it just made so much sense like having your license being an investor is it's it's amazing like you have to do it it's it's one of those things a lot of people really do ask me like well i'm an investor do i need my license you know absolutely i heard you talking about you know having these tools in your tool belt you know on one of your last podcasts and being able to have the ability to be an agent and offer multiple options for people is is just super important so you know i got my license Uh, and then I just kind of went full steam ahead and, you know, I, I, I maneuvered into just focusing on, I did a little bit of wholesaling, which is essentially selling off off market properties. Uh, and then, you know, I just dove, you know, headfirst into flipping houses. So, you know, after that, I just kind of started building momentum. was able to secure some private money to do these deals, uh, you know, and, and now fast forward, uh, 2020, you know, we're going on, on six years now, I do pretty high volume of of flips, you know Seattle's a, a higher price point market. So you know a lot of my houses that I'm flipping, I'm buying them anywhere from like 500 to a million. So 500 thousand to about a million bucks on the highest end. And then my sweet spot is usually selling um, anywhere like our median price point around Seattle is right around like 750. I like to sell a lot there, um, but I'm I'm finding a home in the low million dollar price points now. So like, you know my business today. Uh, I have, I think 10 or 11 flips that I'm working on. Um, and those sell anywhere from the lowest one I have is selling at 600,000 to, you know, 1.8 million. Um, and then I also, I'm, I'm working on, um, land development. So I have, uh, six townhouses fully under construction right now. I have four that are in permitting, and then I'm also building a a 4,000 square foot house out in, um, Magnolia, which is a, a pretty nice area of Seattle. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the investing side of things. And then I also have a brokerage team. So, you know, for, for anyone that starts doing a, a good amount of volume of flips, for me, I just started to realize, man, I have all these other agents asking to hold my houses open. Like, I need to capitalize on this as well. So uh, last year, I got my managing broker's license. Uh, and right now, I have a, a team of six people, including myself, um, and probably look maybe at one or, or two more. I want to keep kind of a lean and mean team. And all of us have that investor mindset and all of us do some kind of investing uh, in some capacity as well. Nice. Yeah. So one of the
1: things that we talked about, like before we even jumped on, and I think one of the things that's so tough with, you know, agents that are successful and making good money being agents and thinking like, I know I need to invest at some point down the road, or maybe even I should start today is like, how do you juggle all these things? And man you're juggling a lot. I mean, you're, you're an agent, you're a broker, you've got a team, you are doing new construction, you're doing renovations. You're obviously have a source of, of finding deals and stuff like that. So how are you managing to be a successful agent and an investor at the same time?
2: Yeah. You know that it's, it's a constant struggle. I joke and I say I'm a glorified babysitter, you know, a lot of the time, like, especially with the construction side of things, um, For me, I did everything myself. The first probably three years, I sourced all the deals myself. I designed the houses. I managed them. I literally did everything. I listed them. Like I wore every single hat and, you know, in order to scale a business, you can do that for a while. But after, you know, you hit this breaking point for me, I I had six houses under construction and I was trying to design all of those. And that was kind of the breaking point. And that's when you got to look at things and say, okay, how do I scale this? How do I build my team? Who are the team members that I need to bring on to be able to kind of start removing yourself? And at that point, the very first hire that I did was I hired a project manager. You know, the, the day-to-day portion of managing, you know, high volume flips is, it's a lot. You know, there's a lot of handholding. You know, again, I, I joke and say, everything has to be written out in crayon, right? Like you got to break everything down to like an elementary level and leave nothing Up to question if you leave anything up to question there's a good chance it might get misinterpreted Mm -hmm. a mistake might get made so you know it it really requires a lot of foresight uh, a lot of planning and having that right team so you know for me right now uh you know the first thing that that i did was again hire that project manager that relieved a lot of time for me and so i have a project manager who manages all of my flips and i kind of compartmentalize things you know you have to look at the business as different not total different businesses but at least different departments right so like i have my flips which is kind of one section right so that's jh1 homes that's my primary investing business and i have the project manager who manages a lot of those i personally still have a very heavy hand in that yeah. you know doing higher end flips selling you know million plus you have to have everything dialed in really well there's There's very little room for mistakes. So I spend a good amount of time working with a designer. I have a designer as well. You know, we design the houses. um I keep in touch. I kind of help scheduling and then for me, a big portion is kind of doing that quality control, looking for things that will become issues, right? So like when I walk through houses, I've done enough of these to like if something looks a little bit off, like the layout doesn't feel right or you know, the finishes aren't going to work right. Or, or, you know, when you do rough in, which is, you know, installing all of the things before you do drywall and install the fixtures, that's a really important part to where you got to look at all of these details. And so I spend a lot of time paying attention to kind of the details on that side of things. And then also kind of the higher level stuff. So we get the flips going under control. We have our contractors going, my project manager handles those. And then I'm always looking for more deals. Right, so we have those kind of under construction, and then on that side of things, I'm continuing to keep looking for more projects. Right, so I'm always uh, working with sellers and and talking with people, talking to wholesalers, other brokers, because if you stop looking for deals and you just focus on what you have, then your pipeline, you know, falls apart. Right, like you have everything sold and it's listed, and then all of a sudden you're scrambling to find new deals. So you know, the project manager handles a lot of that. And then I'm looking kind of for more deals consistently. So that's the flipping side. And then I have the new construction side kind of a separate, you know, department as well, if you will. Um, and those are completely separate entities. You know, I buy, uh, or I start single use, um, businesses, right. So just for that one project. And then I have a different project manager manage those. Mm -hmm those require a lot more, you know, hands on, you're doing a lot more moving parts They're bigger projects. So, you know, you have to have team members doing different things. So mm-hmm. the new construction is managed by someone different. The flips are managed by someone different. Yep. And then, and then we have the brokerage side.
1: Yeah. So, and how does, how does the brokerage
2: side fit into it? Yeah. So the, it, it works well, right? So I wanted to create this nice cohesive Atmosphere to where everybody can kind of work together. So, you know, the brokerage side, I still work with all of my agents. I do trainings every single Thursday too. So, like we we meet every Thursday and we we do sales training and we talk about leads and we do follow up calls and we're always looking for deals. Um, and the cool thing about that is, is because all of us are investors, um, we look at every deal as an investor and a broker. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to look at every deal specifically figure out what's going to make the most sense. And then we can kind of tailor everything for, you know, that, that seller. So the and because of COVID, we haven't had opens for a long time, which was kind of a big portion that helped with the business. But, you know, luckily Seattle's just allowing it again, literally this is the first week that I'm going to get to have opens again. So, you know, where that works hand in hand, I always have these high-end homes that we're selling and then we're able to generate buyer leads from all of these listings as well. So we can kind of keep everything in house and then all the agents while they're out there looking, you know, something that I train everyone to is, hey, don't just be an agent when you're at the open, be an mm-hmm. investor also. As people come through there, people love seeing transformed houses, especially if we're buying the junkiest house on the block and then we make it beautiful. You know, That's one of the funnest things about the job too is how excited neighbors are You know, and they come through, oh my God, thank you guys so much. This house looks amazing. You know, and then we thank them. You know, it's great. We love our job. By the way, you guys know anyone else looking to sell? Like, we're not only just looking to list properties, we would love to buy another house on the block. You know, and that's something that resonates a lot with neighbors because they want to have, you know, nice houses in the area. And if they have another house nearby that they know of, you know, we're always looking for leads that way. So it really complements each other really well and everything, if you do it right, can all just kind of feed each other. And it's just kind of this, you know, lead generating machine, if you will.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Because so I'm writing a book right now called Agent Investor. And it's interesting because so many of the principles that I have in that book, you've just outlined. And it's crazy. Like I took a bunch of notes while you were talking and I want to ask you some follow-up questions on a lot of different pieces on it. But I think the biggest thing, you know, my biggest takeaway from everything that you just said is just that everything works together. Yep. And even though you've got a lot of stuff going on and you're doing big things, everything complements one another. And you had talked about, like, I think one of the, the other things that, you know, I noticed that I think I don't see that often. And it's something that I think is really powerful is a team of people that are always out looking for deals. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that if you're an agent who's doing a lot of retail business and you're like, man, I just want to get more into the investing side. And you're worried about, Hey, like, I'm going to lose like the transactions. What would you say to that? Like your team who's hunting and finding deals, like what tends to kind of come out of that prospecting or whatever you guys are doing to find deals?
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny that, you know, you kind of say it and frame it that way. People would be worried that they're going to lose a deal. Basically, you should win more deals by being an investor, right? Because you're going to be able to offer people more than most any other agent, right? So one thing that, you know, our team really prides us on is the fact that hey, we can give you multiple options. Like we're going to be able to do things that no other agent can. You know, we offer to you know, we partner with sellers. I've done joint ventures with sellers where I've taken possession of the home and I've put almost $300,000 into a house and then we sold it. And then we did some kind of a profit sharing setup. And how many other agents are going to do that? Mm -hmm. Very, very few, especially on that side of things. Almost
1: nobody, almost, I mean, you know, it's (laughs) like when somebody does it, I'm like, whoa, like, I mean, it's not like something that is super complicated, but at the same time, it's legitimately rare.
2: Yeah. I mean, it is. And when I first started doing it, you know, for me, it was like, it was kind of out of necessity. I didn't have any money. I was just getting creative. How do I get these deals done? I'm an investor first. You know, you, you say these mantras and you know, whatever. And like, I'm an investor and you get that mindset. So you start looking at deals differently and that's what we do. So, you know, we meet with a seller and we say, Hey, look, what's most important to you. Is it maximizing your profits? Is it closing quickly? Is it, you know, whatever, whatever's important to them then we narrow in on that. So we can say, Hey, look, you know, we don't partner real often. I've probably done it 13, 14 times, something like that. I'm currently doing one in Mercer Island, which is like a really nice area of Seattle. And you know, we're putting about 180,000 into it. I'm bringing in the financing and we're going to sell the house for one seven. And it's, it's an awesome deal all the way across the board. Like I'm going to make the money I need to, by bringing this financing and skills to the table, they're going to make like a couple hundred thousand dollars more." because we're forcing a ton of value into their house. So when you're able to offer things like this to sellers, it has to be the right person because some people would be really scared. But when you find those right people, those are the types of people that are going to help build your business so much. They're going to be your cheerleaders. They're going to refer you. They're going to say, man, this Jared guy financed the renovation for me and we made an extra 300 grand by doing this. Like that in itself is... It's tremendous. Like that's the type of thing that's going to build your business in a huge way. So we do things like that. And then we also offer to do lighter renovations for people. You know, for me, we have this machine that's already going. So we get a house and we kind of just put it in the machine and we can kind of crank it out. So the things that we can do are going to be faster and cheaper than most other homeowners or agents. You know, a lot of agents are just, they would, they would be too scared to, invest money, whether it's theirs or a seller's into the house and actually help them design it because they'd be concerned that they would mess it up.
1: Yep. You know? And I think but, one of the things that, uh, you know, I'm noticing about you that I think everybody has different talents that they kind of bring to the table. And like what I'm hearing from you, like over and over and over again, is you've got a real talent for the construction side of the business. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, some people that are gonna listen to this, that're listening to this have. And some agents, it, you know when you get into real estate, it's crazy. Like we have a pretty big brokerage. We hire people out of every industry, and people come from all walks of life to become agents. Like mm-hmm. they can come from the construction field, sales background teachers. like there's no there's no necessarily like one prototype for for anybody. And I think part of like, you know, making good money, and being profitable like in any business that you're in is like taking the talents that you have and utilizing them in some capacity. Now in that one story, and that's like a gem of a story and a huge takeaway, I think for a lot of people that are listening to this, one of the things that people always say about, what do you think the number one objection Jared is for somebody like why they can't invest in real estate right now? The number one, what do you think?
2: Uh, They don't have the money, probably. They
1: don't have the money, right? That's the number one objection, right? And you can be a successful agent. You can be making six figures. And you might just be kind of getting by, and you don't have the money to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, you just talked about one example that it it did so many things in just one example where you partner with a seller. So number one, like you brought their equity to the table, not your money, right? So you got into the deal with no money down. Mm -hmm. Number two you created a win-win between you and the seller. Mm -hmm. And that was a win-win that someone that's just an agent, but not an agent investor can do, right? Because it's something that is unique. Now, if you went out to that property and you said, you know, you said it's funny because a lot of people are, I said, a lot of people are fearful. They're going to lose retail deals. But what you highlighted in like five different points is like, these are the investor tools are always to do more deals. Mm-hmm. And had you gone in and said, hey, let me just list your house, we don't know what would have happened in that case, but you will lose some deals along the way mm-hmm. because it's not the best solution for the seller. And so you you put together a deal, no money out of your own pocket, a win-win, and the seller is going to put, I don't know how much more money in their pocket. You said a few hundred thousand. I mean, that's that's insane, right? And are you you're taking the listing on the other end and yep. you're, you're going to generate, I mean, this is a million dollar plus property. You're going to generate buyer leads off of that open house. And who knows? I mean, all you need there is one buyer at an open house or one buyer lead from a Zillow coming soon or whatever, however you're pre uh, marketing the property, that could be another 20, 30, $40,000 commission, right? Easy. Maybe, maybe you get two of those. I mean, mm. you know, we don't want to set like expectations. that are unrealistic, but like, Hey, like you, you can usually pull off one. Let's deal take a quick break from, from the episode that you get. to
0: get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors. Join our free private Facebook group. Just go to join Cameron coaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there.
1: With that being said, like, You came from a construction background. You got into real estate. You wanted to flip. You've Mm -hmm. done stuff on the construction side that not everyone's going to do. Not everyone on this call is going to be able to get to that level on the construction side. And not everyone on this call is going to want to get to that level. Um, What would you say to an agent or even just a newer investor that didn't have such a big construction background and wasn't so meticulous about that side of the business in terms of getting into one of these deals and renovating it or just investing in general.
2: Yeah. So just kind of advice on on finding the kind of joint venture side or just finding any kind of any deal with a the seller.
1: Like if you're if you're talking about somebody who wants to invest mm-hmm. and they've got a successful agent business and mm-hmm. they want to do some investing, but they're like, oh my God, like I can't do. This big new construction. I can't do all these big construction projects. Like, what what advice would you give them? Like, hey, I'm not Jared Holland. Like, I don't, I don't know how to do this stuff yet. And I, but I still want to get into investing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. If you already have a successful business and you have seller leads and you're doing listings, all you have to do is, is just pivot. Like I have this mental image, and it's the same thing that happened to me when I got into real estate. It's just literally you're going down this straight path, right? And you have tunnel vision and you're just going, literally just turn a little bit, right? And you just take a different direction and you're gonna see so many things open up. You go sit down with a seller and it's a little bit of an older house and your go-to is, hey, let's just clean it up. We'll just do some paint. We'll just clean it, landscaping, and then we'll list it, right? Mm -hmm. All you have to do is take a step back and look at it through a different lens. Okay, so this house is in a great neighborhood, right? This house is, you know, it's 1990 remodel. It's pretty basic. You know, it's 30 years later. There is equity there to be able to force. All you have to do is before you go to that appointment, take a look at comps of what the house could sell for if it were fixed up. You don't have to do the projects I do. I'm crazy, man. I do 1900s houses. I gut them and like, I do really big stuff. You can do the same thing and just make it purely cosmetic just updating the cabinets and the countertops, light fixtures, pull handles. Literally, I'm doing a project right now that we're doing really, really, really basic stuff. And this is the type of thing that a normal agent can do all day long is, you know, you do the paint. We're doing little things like putting new pull handles on the cabinets. They were the older ones that didn't have pull handles, pull handles, light fixtures, new countertops. If you can do those kind of really basic renovations, that's the type of thing that's going to, help the house sell for more. Maybe it's 20, 30, 50 grand, whatever price points you're in, right. It's going to be different, but by you selling it for more, you're going to make more money because you're going to sell it for more, right? The age or the client's going to be stoked because you just help them make more money on it as well. And so in order to do that, what you have to do is first you have to have the right team. You know what I mean? So like, you can't go in there and say, okay, the comps show, you know, we can sell it for 20 grand more, If we, you know, just basically put a new bathroom vanity and fixtures, right? So 15,000 bucks or, or let's say, you know, more realistic. It's when you do really basic stuff, a lot of times you can kind of double the money that you put in. So if you put 20 in, you should be able to get around 40 back, Mm -hmm. right? So the number one thing you have to do is just make sure the comps are solid, right? Because what you don't want to do is put too much into a house and it's not going to get the value back. So really make sure those comps are super solid. And then the other thing, you got to make sure you have the right contractors. So that's probably my biggest advice. If you don't have a construction background like I did, you need to educate yourself and you need to find a contractor that has experience working with investors or, or even real estate agents, because there are a lot of agents out there who do this on a kind of this, this type of level, which is the really basic cosmetic you know, renovation side. You get somebody that you can trust and is affordable and you can bring repeat business to, they're going to want to take care of you and they're going to want to do it right because they know that you're going to call them on the next house that has, you know, countertops, cabinets, you know, flooring, just the kind of basic stuff. And they're going to keep coming back or you're going to keep coming back rather, and they'll want to take care of you. So number one thing, make sure you got really solid comps. And then number two, make sure you have a contractor that you know and trust and is going to do everything right. If you can at least get those two down, then you're going to be able to see it just kind of start falling into place. You go to an appointment, it's an older house, just take a step back or before you go there. And then I always like to give sellers at least two to three options and just build a second option in when you meet with them. Mm -hmm. Hey, Mr. Seller, you know, I've sold a dozen houses in the area. You already have that credibility. If you got a successful business, just say, you know, I think we can make you an extra 40, 50 grand. All we have to do is just invest, you know, 20 grand into the house. And we need to do these basic updates and present both the offers. And when the first one you do, just make sure, do something that's easy, right? Do an easier project. Don't jump into removing walls and plumbing and all that kind of stuff. Do something really basic and easy. You're going to build that momentum. And once you do one, the second one's easier, right? And then you can refer back, Hey, I just did the house for, you know, Joe Smith down the street. We sold it for more. You do another one. All of a sudden you've done three, four, five, and now you have that other tool and you can always offer people multiple options.
1: Yeah. And I think the thing, I mean, again, you like, you know, pretty much outlined the whole book (laughs) and good. All right. Let's write it together, man. And I mean, it's crazy, but some of the important points there that I think again, are worth highlighting is like, what, what, you know, you had said about like, agents don't have to do anything necessarily. That's really too much outside of the scope yeah. of what they're doing. Like if you're somebody that, that does a lot of retail listings and you're going on face-to-face listing appointments, you yeah. are going to run into these deals. And a yeah. lot of times agents refer these deals to me and I love it when they refer them to me at the same time, you know, one of my first conversations to them is like, Hey, why don't you do a deal like this? And, yeah. um, you know, there is a big difference between doing like this massive renovation, which could potentially negatively impact your, your real estate sales business, or could throw you off, or you could go way over budget. But what Jared had highlighted so, you know, accurately is like, I mean, at least for me, a lot of my best deals in my market are deals where we're not doing a lot of work. We're just coming in, we're getting it so that, you know, a a buyer, is, it's moving ready. It's nice. It's clean. We're not doing like a $400,000 renovation. We're doing a 20 or $30,000 renovation or sometimes even less. And like Jared had mentioned, you've got those sweet spots where you do a couple of small things that have a big impact. And mm-hmm. you know, just like simple things, at least in, in my market is like, you know, getting a house FHA financeable, like Getting it so that nothing needs to be repaired. I mean, it might not be a 10 out of 10 condition, but somebody can live there. And with the inventory, and this is obviously like a a moment in time thing, but with the inventory so tight in both of our markets, like you don't need to have a 10 out of 10 house to get 50 people fighting over it. And, And in some cases, another point that you hit on that I think is an important thing, and I don't want to let it go, is selling in the lower price point of your market, especially mm-hmm. in hot markets. And you mentioned like, it's crazy because you're like, I sell on the low part of my market, which is $750,000. And yeah. some people like if you're in Dayton, Ohio, you're like, wait a second. Like <laughs> that's half the block. That's uh that's, there's not even a $750,000 house in my town, but the point isn't the, the price point that just happens to be Seattle's one of the most expensive markets in the U S but it's mm-hmm. that when you are flipping you you don't have to be in the lower price point but when you're in the lower price point you always have that potential to go higher than what the ARV comp is going to show you because yep. when there's so much competition it, it's just a different game when you're selling like that luxury house and literally there's only two buyers in your market that could even buy it
2: yeah. so And and one thing I do actually want to add to that, that I think is really important, because one question I get a lot is like, how do you navigate this market that we're in? And like, how do you invest carefully? So, you know, talking about selling in those lower price points, like selling around the median price point is one of the best things you can do, especially when you're getting started, It's where the most buyers are going to be. It's where you're going to get the most traffic. And then the other thing that I personally am doing right now is especially with a lot of uncertainty, the elections, COVID, just everything that's going on, you know, I really like to sell my houses at about 90 to 95% on the higher end of what the comps actually are. So, you know, for round numbers, again, let's say a house is going to be a million bucks for my after repair value on it. I would prefer to sell it closer to 950,000, somewhere in there, 949,995, right? Somewhere right around there because When you list it at that price point, even though you have a few comps that sold for a million plus, people are going to see that and be like, man, this is a great deal. Like I want to jump on that house. So being conservative is how you're going to be able to get the houses turned around quicker. And it's going to just save you a lot of headache also in that long run. Yeah.
1: And so another point that you made as we're kind of going through this is, you know, that, that investing creates more agent transactions. And so you had talked about a little bit about the fact that you've got a team, you know, out there trying to find sellers that are looking to sell their houses. And I know for me, I'm curious to get your feedback on this. Do you feel like going in with a cash offer gets you in the door easier than saying like, hey, you know, I'm an agent, let me let let me, you know, tell you what your house is worth type of thing? Mm -hmm. Like, do you feel like there's a difference there on the scripting or any sort of like getting in the door type of thing?
2: Yeah, you know, so are you talking about um an off-market seller lead or a listed property? You're talking about off market, right?
1: Off market, yeah.
2: Yeah. So I think that cash is king, right, all the time. People love to hear that. It's something that they, you know, want to be excited about. So, you know, I think always offering a cash offer is super important. I think that, especially if you're looking at like a fixer house, you know, it's going to show credibility on several ways. It's going to show that, hey, look, you're an investor, like you know what you're talking about, and you're willing to put your money where your mouth is. Most agents are not, right? So that's going to set you apart right off the bat. And so if you're able to give them an offer that's a cash offer, and then also offer them you know, to list it or some sort of hybrid in there, right? So I'll do a lot of times now, I just build it and we can do We can do a really, really light renovation because a lot of times people either don't have the money or they're intimidated by doing the work or something. But by having the cash offer, yes, it's always going to help you. And it's always going to give you more credibility. And then that's where reading the seller is going to be important, knowing what's most important to them, asking enough questions ahead of time and really figuring out what's going to speak to them. That way you can say, hey, look, we'll always give you a cash offer and we'll also give you at least one or two other options, whichever makes the most sense for you, we can go with. So it's going to be a win for you no matter what, what option they choose, right? If you get a deal out of it, whether it's buying it or listing it and working with them, like it's a win-win either way. So having the cash offer is great. And then also giving them you know, at least one or two other options is, is really powerful as well.
1: So... Um, you don't have to share this information if you don't want to, mm. but I'm going to ask you anyways, what's your, what's your average profit per flip in your market? Like standard, not the, the crazy outlier ones, but like, what's
2: the average yeah. profit, you know, for my whole market as a whole, I, I couldn't tell you exactly. There's a lot of investors that will take a lot smaller profits on deals for me personally. Like my criteria now is I like to have a hundred thousand dollar profit or an 18% ROI. Yep. And I I treat a deal as 100% cash cuz I I think it's really important also whether however you finance like I use hard money loans. I think it's important to really see the total money you're investing because when people start looking at your cash on cash, oh 150% or more, you know, that sounds fantastic, but if I'm putting up, you know, a million plus and I'm only going to make 70 grand, that's way too risky. <laughs> you know, so and for me I it used to be 70 grand and I was pretty comfortable with that. You know until the market took a little bit of a correction a couple years back and you know i lost money for the first time on a few houses and that's when it was really eye-opening for me and i think every price point is going to be different but the most important thing i think to look at when you're calculating profit is you need to be prepared if there is any kind of a correction if you go over budget if you hold it too long if something happens, that what ifs are important. I like to have about ten percent wiggle room in there. If the market, if something happens, yep. you know, if I, if I have ten percent buffer in there, then you know that's going to give me, you know, it's going to help me sleep at night in case you know it if I over if I overprice it or go over budget or something.
1: Yeah, and one of those um, you know things that I'm I'm just kind of like thinking about is you're putting in the wiggle room and stuff like that. Is again for somebody doing like. Their beginning stages, like the more that you can do a quick turn mm-hmm. and a small project, the faster and less market risk that you're gonna take. And mm-hmm. I think like one mistake I've seen some people make, they're gung-ho about getting into investing agents. They're like, you know what? Now I'm I'm gonna do it right now. Yeah. No matter what, is like it's it's easier always to find a deal that needs a ton of work than it is like a light renovation type of thing. Absolutely. So you can always like find that deal that needs like everything. But when you're doing that and especially if it's your first one, those are the ones where you can go over budget and then yeah. the timeline starts to expand and therefore your risk is expanding too. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing like one, you know, you had mentioned a few quick things that you could do to a house to make it sell for a lot more, those are like one month turnarounds and yeah. while the market can always change quickly, you're absorbing a lot less of the risk. Um mm-hmm but those margins are phenomenal. And again, I think nationwide, um, it's a function kind of, of how big the numbers are. And so, you know, you're saying in Seattle, it's a hundred. I just ran actually my last 40 deals and mine was about 70. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think in other markets that are even smaller, you know, it can be 30, it can be 40, but the resale might be 200 or 250 or 300 or whatever. Um, and I think that I like how you run those two calculations on both the profit. Mm It's like, Hey, like, you know, at some level in certain markets, like it's not worth it to do the project if you're going to make under X, but you also have to have the risk part of it calculated in too. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I like about your answer, hundred thousand dollars on a deal is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And even if you're in a market where it's not a hundred, or even if you're, like Jared two years ago, and it's only 70, or you're like me, and it's about 70, mm-hmm. that's a lot of money. So the average agent makes between forty and $60,000 in an mm-hmm. entire year. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about doing one fix and flip deal a year can exceed the national average. And I think one thing to consider on that, especially for people that are thinking about getting in, is you might be able to do one deal a year without even really trying. Just in the natural course of doing business, not just on the seller appointments that you're doing, but also networking with other agents, you know, being plugged into your office, like dealing with wholesalers and all that good stuff. So with that being said, like what would you say if you had an agent in front of you and they were like, Yeah, you know, I've been a successful agent, I've been doing this for a while, like I've been dying to get into investing. Like, like, should I do it? Like, what would you, what would you honestly tell them?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say do it, you know, it's, it's one thing it's, it's the same idea. Like when I first got into investing, I had a couple of friends who were towing the line of just getting their license, right. They had a job, they were making good money, they were comfortable. And I kind of helped them push to jump over the, you know, just jump both feet in. And they thank me up and down now because they're like, man, I just needed to do it. You know? And the thing about investing is it's, It's exciting. It's scary. It's, you know, glamorous. It's terrifying. You know what I mean? Like all of these things, but you can start at a small scale. You know, we talked about doing the really basic renovations. And I would say if you are already an agent, you have a successful business, you have the lead flow, everything is going and you're just like, you want to just take it to the next level. I think the easiest way I thought of while we were talking is just charge more on a listing. If you end up fixing a house up for a seller and they use their own money. Let's say it's even a $20,000 renovation.
1: That's a great point. I, you know what? It's great. I mean, that's <laughs> not like an earth shattering idea,
2: but yeah. I've never thought about that before. Yeah, man. Charge an extra percent, charge them 4%, right? If you're selling the house for a 200,000 or a million, you charge them an extra percent and you're increasing the value and you're putting an extra 50, 60 grand, whatever in their pocket they should gladly pay you more and that's going to be the easiest way to really break into that barrier i love you, that yeah you do that once or twice and then you're going to build yeah, that confidence yeah, you're
1: not going to you're, you're i'm not doing this for them anymore i'm doing
2: this myself yeah exactly you know and and you're you're removing the risk because you're using their house and you we're not completely removing the risk but you're not taking on all of that liability and i guarantee you you do that once or twice and even that extra percent you're going to get excited, man. You're going to get that taste. And you're gonna be like, all right, I, I feel good. I've done this after my first flip, which was the most cosmetic one ever. You went I, out and did 50. Yeah, man. I, <laughs> I, I was like, this is so easy. Like, why did I let's do this?
1: Yeah. Like, and it's, it so happen. it's so funny because like, uh, bad who d- produces my show. I'm like, you got to get me some people that are like, you know, they, they do well, but they're not like crazy, like trying to grow like crazy. Yeah. And, um, it's hard, it's hard because like, once you start investing, it's like, you want to do a ton more. Like you, you don't really want to just do one a year, but I always say that because it's like, you've got to do one, right? Like you have to do it. And even the way that you recommended, which is a phenomenal way to do it. Like, even if that's what it takes for you to say like, (laughs) Hey, like I'm not even willing to have them front the money. Like even if I'm just willing Mm -hmm. to take an extra percent or two on a listing, and yep. go through the whole experience. I mean, right then and there, you're going to, you're going to get the confidence. And I think it's all about having the confidence to know you can pull it off. And I think that's one thing that, you know, agents can struggle with is like, you, you're, you feel good about listing a house. You feel confident in everything that you do on a day-to-day basis. But then it's, it's just like that little extra hurdle. But mm-hmm. once you get over that hurdle, man, I mean, You're not.
2: Everything opens up. It's like literally, it's like taking blinders off. When you, as soon as you just or make that little just adjustment, I guarantee you, you will start looking at everything in a different way, and your business is gonna change. And you know, you're gonna you you can easily, if the average, you know, income is forty to fifty grand, it doesn't matter what market you're in. I don't care what the price point is. If you even add a percent to a few listings that's going to increase a lot, right? You do that over, you know, four or five over the year, like you're increasing your income by a ton. That's 33%, right? Of your, of your, of your income per deal. I don't even think it's just going to increase the percent. I think it would
1: increase your conversion on the appointment itself. Yeah, Because I guarantee you're going to be the only agent that's offered. I mean, yep. that's something that it's almost like it's unfair in the yeah. way of the seller. Like that's like a better deal for the seller than it is for the agent. Yeah. But if that's the way that it takes you to do your first few deals
0: mm-hmm. and you
1: make a couple of extra percentage points and you do a few renovations and you see proof of concept, yeah, I mean, again, you're probably not going to keep doing that, but mm-hmm. you'll convert more on those appointments and you'll make more money. And if that's, if that's like, to me, I look at it like this, yeah. if, if that's the, the least thing that my listeners take from this and they implement just that. Mm-hmm. It'll be worth it because that could be worth 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a year with yep, a yep. very small, anyone can do that type yep. of concept, which is awesome. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. It was exciting. It just kind of came out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think better than anything else, it's like with all of the agent investor type tools, it's, it's all about being creative,
2: mm-hmm.
1: finding solutions to problems. And it's not just about going in and doing the same thing over and over again and not trying to figure it out. Like if there's a problem, Hey, seller wants to do renovations. Maybe they don't know how to manage the project, whatever, like what's the solution? How can you make it a Mm win-win? And, um, I love it. Well, Jared, I want to thank you uh, for coming on today. You shared a lot of nuggets. I know you're a busy man, man, you're doing a lot. I mean, I, I do a lot, but I don't have that many silos of my business, so I give you a ton of credit. I know that's not easy, and um, you know, I, I appreciate you coming on, and you know, we'll catch up soon.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. I it was uh, it was fun to be here. So thanks for having me. Thanks, all right, for guys. Thank you very Agent much Investor, for listening.
0: And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.